As you guys know, we're in Acts, and tonight we're in Acts chapter 24. A lot of cool stuff going on. Colin really brought it home last week. If you were here about living in a challenging culture, high invitation, high challenge, believing what we know, knowing what we believe. And uh, tonight I just feel like the word that throughout the theme of Acts 24 is suffering brings credibility. Suffering brings credibility. Let's start with the reading here in Acts chapter 24. I'm reading from the message. It says, within five days, the chief priest Ananias arrived with a contingent of leaders along with Tertullus, a trial lawyer. They presented the governor with their case against Paul. When Paul was called before the court, Tertullus spoke for the prosecution. Most honorable Felix, we are most grateful in all times and places for your wise and gentle rule. Sounds like something out of the Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? We are much aware that it is because of you, like the hobbit talking to the smog. Oh, great and wise smog. You know, just trying not to be killed at this moment. Uh, with your gentle rule, we are much aware that it is because of you and you alone that we enjoy all this peace and gain daily profit from your reforms. I'm not going to tire you with a long speech. Too late. I beg your kind indulgence in listening to me. I'll be quite brief. We found this man time and again disturbing the peace, stirring up riots against Jews all over the world. He is the ringleader of a seditious sect. I want you to underline that, highlight that, whatever you can seditious sect called Nazarenes. He's a real bad apple, I must say. We caught him trying to defile our holy temple and arrested him. You'll be able to verify all these accusations when you examine him yourself. Now let's stop there for a moment. Turtleus was a hired lawyer. He was smooth in speech with a reputation of being able to negotiate between the Roman government and Jewish religious leaders. He was an expert in this. Some would say that he was actually a, uh, like a hired gun. He would, uh, any, any rift between the Jewish um, religious leaders and the Roman government, Tertullus was called in. He was like our modern day, I don't know, some popular lawyer. I can only think of O.J. Simpson. Like, if it don't fit, you must acquit, right? Johnny Cochran, right? It's, I don't know if that relates to anybody older than 35. But anyway... <laughs> if, if you can imagine Turtleus as this real popular guy, probably very wealthy, spent his time being educated, being groomed by the laws and the courts, and he was the guy for the hour. He was the man that was going to speak on behalf of Ananias. Ananias had gotten a little smart. It's like, man, all my words aren't really working with the Roman government. I've got to get somebody who's a professional. And you'll find out later that Turtleus is really close to the truth, but was twisting it just enough so that the accusations against Paul would sound really good and really justified. He, he, he uh, blamed him for three things. Number one, that he was a troublemaker. He was a troublemaker. Number two, that he was a ringleader of an unrecognized sect or cult. And number three, he had tried to desecrate the temple by bringing in Gentiles. In his entire ministry, Paul was always facing the same foe. His name is the accuser. Comes in many different forms and fashions, doesn't it? Comes in the form of a lawyer. Comes in the form of a high priest. It usually comes in the form of religious people. Religious people are really good at accusing others of believing what they don't believe or believing not like they believe. I promise you, when you start to feel like you want to accuse somebody, just check yourself because that's probably a religious spirit seeping inside of you going, hey, they don't believe like you do. You should accuse them of something. Every time that we fall into the trap of accusation and division, we are acting like the accuser and not like people of the way. Come on, somebody. We, are, we have to check ourselves regularly that we are not causing or the cause of division within the body of Christ. Jesus hates it, man. When that happens, we act and, and smell and have the characteristics of the enemy and not of Jesus Christ. Even people who didn't agree with Paul or agree with Jesus for that matter, Jesus never accused them. You'll never find Jesus accusing. That's the job of the enemy. And sometimes it's the job of our own thought processes. Sometimes I actually think we give the enemy too much credit. It's our old way of thinking. It's our old mindsets. It's our own habits that we've got to break. And I promise you, my friends, if you'll just stop and recognize that when you want to start causing division, you want to start causing accusations, when you don't agree with somebody, the best thing you can do is go to that person and have a cup of coffee and have a conversation. Listen, 
Conflict in relationship is healthy. I'll say it again. Conflict in relationship is healthy. We have not been taught the language of healthy conflict. So what do we do? We gather a bunch of people around us that agree with us. We separate ourselves from the body, and then we get nailed by the enemy because we haven't figured out how to have healthy conflict within our own body. Family brings things to the table. Family is able to discuss. Family is open to disagreement. I just got a book, and I've already been accused of heresy for it, but thank you, Donovan, for that. It's called um, The Book of Joy. And on the cover is the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu facing each other, smiling, and just, it's, it's an amazing picture. Anyway, I was already captured by the introduction, and I've gotten three private messages on Facebook, because I put this picture on Facebook, dummy, of the book. Three private messages regarding why are you reading something that is not by a Christian? One of the ways the guy phrased the first one is, the Dalai, isn't the Dalai Lama not a Christian? I said, yes, he's a Buddhist. Think about it. Isn't the Dalai Lama not a Christian? That's a double negative, by the way. And I, and I just answered him very gently and tenderly, which I hate doing on Facebook. I'd rather have a conversation face-to-face. Amen. I said, bro, we can learn from all different types of walk. We can learn from all different types of people. I don't think the Dalai Lama even agrees with that his words are the gospel. I don't think he says that. But he does agree with there's a general way that we live in peace and joy with one another and harmony. That's what I'm after. No response. Anyway, so... <laughs> friend, unfollow. I love this, though, the accuser. When you, when you start to get into, into this weirdness, this weird, you always feel like, oh, my gosh, there's so much. Turtleus was just sapping with flattery. Wasn't he just dripping with, oh, thou great and awesome. You can just almost see it unfold. You great and awesome, Felix, you're so wise among us, and we have enjoyed peace for six years under your rule and reign, and your reforms have made me so much money. I mean, your reforms have prospered us so much, and I just love you. And I can almost sense Paul rolling his eyes. Oh, my gosh. This guy. This guy over here. I mean, can you picture, do you ever just put yourself in the middle of a story in the Bible? Like, God, I wonder what that was like. What was the weather like that day? You know, what, what were they standing on? How was Paul dressed? What was, the, what was the tenor of the meeting? Were they angry? Were they mad? Were there, you know, people fanning everybody? I don't know, but I always try to put myself in that picture, and I can just see Paul going, oh, brother, this is almost too easy. In his entire ministry, though, Paul was always facing the, fame, the same foe, the accuser. The, the argument sounds true, and it will in your life. When the accuser comes and accuses you of something, it probably is going to sound true. It's close enough to the truth to sound realistic to you. Now, you have a decision to make at this moment. When the decision is, do I listen to the accuser, which could be presenting facts, by the way, or do I listen to truth, which is given to me by my father? On Tuesday nights, as you know, we're doing the Enneagram. The Enneagram, I believe, lines up with, our, with one of our core visions here at Keystone. Connect with your creator so that you know who you are. Connect with your creator. It's a space that we've created so that we can connect with our creator so that we know who we are. Right? We connect with the creator to know who we are. We connect in community to know what we are. And we connect with our culture to know why we are. But that's first space, connecting with our creator. Know who you are in Christ. When the accuser comes, you know that you can refute it with truth. Let me tell you something. Truth trumps fact. Sorry to use Trump in there. Kidding. Truth will always trump fact. Always. The fact is you might have a struggle with depression, but the truth is God set you free. The fact is you might be dealing with something in your body, but the truth is God is still a healer. The fact is you might be constantly up against the wall of of financial stress and pressure, but the truth is God is your provider. 
See the difference? So the fact is, I mean, the accuser can come with fact. Fact is, Paul was like involved in riots. The fact was that there were people that accused him of, you know, being a jerk and being a bad person and being a troublemaker. These were facts, but that's not the truth. Do you guys understand that? I can imagine he must have, in his mind, heard these words. Does this sound familiar to you? When they drag you into their meeting places or into police courts and before judges, don't worry about defending yourself. What you'll say or how you'll say it, the right words will be there. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words when the time comes. I don't think they had the book of Luke yet, but I imagine the principle was passed down through the apostles. Hey, guys, we're going to face the accuser. We're going to face lies. We're going to face people saying things against us. Just remember what Master said. When we're dragged into the courts, when the church religious people accuse us, when people that don't agree with us, don't like us, and separate themselves from us, just remember there's no need to defend ourselves. The Holy Spirit will give us the right words at the right time, at the right moment, for the right purpose. Watch how he responds. The governor motioned to Paul. It was now his turn, verses 10, verse 10. Paul said, I count myself fortunate to be defending myself before you. Governor, knowing how fair-minded you have been in judging us in all these years. It's interesting because Paul is sort of saying the same thing, but it doesn't have that flattery tone. It doesn't have that dripping, nasty, yucky, you know, I'm, I'm in this for my own gain. I've been back in the country for only 12 days. You can check out those dates easily enough. I came with the express purpose of worshiping in Jerusalem at Pentecost, and I've been minding my own business the whole time. Nobody can say they saw me arguing in the temple or working up a crowd in the streets. Not one of their charges can be backed up with evidences or witnesses. Here's another great example, as we've learned throughout the, the book of Acts, of Paul understanding his audience. Paul understood the law. Paul understood that hearsay was not acceptable in Jewish law. You had to have two or three witnesses. We'll find out later that the witnesses didn't even bother showing up. They're in western Turkey. They're like hanging out on, in Ephesus somewhere. They didn't even make the journey. They didn't even bother to make the journey to accuse Paul in person. Therefore, case dismissed, right? You would think so. But I, I do admit this, he says in verse 14, in the regard to the way, notice that he didn't say the Nazarene sect that you referred to, but the way, he had to correct uh, Turtleus there a little bit, which they malign as a dead-end street or a cult, I serve and worship the same very God served and worshiped by all our ancestors and embrace everything written in our scriptures, and I admit to living in hopeful anticipation that God will raise the dead, both the good and the bad, and if that's my crime, my accusers are just as guilty as I am. I love how Paul takes each accusation point by point by point and uses the entire context of his audience and says, brothers, the same God you say you worship, that's who I'm worshiping. The same God you say you serve, that's whom I'm serving. The reason you don't like me here today is because I actually believe in the resurrection of the dead, both evil and good. That's why I'm being judged. The whole thing about the way before they were called Christians, which is kind of cool. Does anybody remember the Bible in the 70s called The Way, like the hippie movement? And it had like a bunch of cool pictures on the front. Yes. Come back. I love the way, though, that Paul not only is able to defend himself with truth, he's able to weave the gospel message right in the middle of it. You know, he didn't say, hey, these guys are a bunch of morons. None of them were there. I, this is ridiculous. He didn't use the Roman citizen card at this time. He didn't use the, I'm a Jew. I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. You guys know me. I could probably preach you all under the bus. What he actually did was saying, I'm going to humble myself. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about Jesus. I'm going to weave. Watch the brilliance of this. This is the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say when the time is right. And man, the Holy Spirit gave him the perfect words. He just presents the entire gospel in the middle of his defense. We're going to rise again, brothers. I mean, this, this way that you talk about, Felix, I know you're associated with this. You've been here for six years, bro. You know the way. 
but I do freely admit, he said. Paul is now associating himself with this crowd. He is brilliant. Carl had brought that to our mind. When you are with the crowd, recognize the crowd you're with. He's simply stating the truth. He's relying on the mind of the Holy Spirit to guide him, coupled with his own education and understanding of the human heart. This should serve as a great example for us. Remember, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in high places or the mind or the thought process. They're still attached to an old system. And all Paul's saying is, perforate yourself from that. like how I wove that in there. Let us do a healthy tear. We can be healthy together. What I'm trying to do is not just set me free. I'm trying to set you all free. We've got this opportunity to follow Jesus the way, the way. Let's do it together, brothers. He wasn't even, he's like, are you mad, bro? I'm not even mad, bro. Believe me, he said in verse 16, I do my level best to keep a clear conscience before God and, and my neighbors in everything I do. I've been out of the country for a number of years, and now I'm back. While I was away, I took up a collection for the poor and brought that with me, along with offerings for the temple. Remember where he got that idea? Anybody remember? If you were here, Acts 20, 18, somewhere in there. Remember James said, here, here's the plan. Shave your head, buy the dudes their offerings. Remember that, guys? So isn't it funny how God, it's all coming back. So Paul's like, brilliant idea, James, because that came in handy later. This is what I was here for. It was while making those offerings, they found me quietly doing my prayers in the temple. There was no crowd. There was no disturbance. It was some Jews around Ephesus who started all this trouble. And you'll notice they're not even here today. Law, I know my stuff, boys. Let me just encourage you. Let me encourage you with something. No, let me challenge you. Let's get back up in the challenge quadrant. Some of us are so biblically ignorant We'll take the word over somebody's opinion in a book, but we won't read Scripture. And, and it's so funny to me how we elevate words of men, especially in today's culture with social media, just bang, 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 over what Jesus says. And how we've adopted sort of a weird Gosh, help me, Jesus. A weird Americanism Christianity. Where the cross doesn't seem to be our banner, it's a flag. Oh, God, I knew it. And I'm not, I'm not speaking against a political movement. I'm not speaking against our nation. I'm not speaking against anything like that. Love where I live. I'm just saying it's funny how sometimes we'll elevate nationalism over Christianity or the way and Paul's kind of bringing everything back down to center. Like, guys, I know this is all you know, and I like it. I'm a Jew. How many times have he said that? I'm an American. I love America. I love where I live. But it can't, it can't come above what Jesus says. It's gotta, it's gotta, we gotta keep that in perspective. Again, hard word. It's up in that challenging quadrant. I'm glad you're here. I love you. You're my family. Let's get challenged, okay? Let's make sure we keep the cross before us. Matter of fact, let's keep the grave before us because it's empty. Let's keep the grave, the empty resurrection power of Jesus before us. Put honor where honor is due. Does this make sense? Hear me, hear me, hear me. I've been to many, many nations. They've all got problems, right? We, I'm, I'm not going to tout that there's another one better than another, okay? What I'm saying is this. Across the board, what transcends every religion, what transcends every culture, what transcends every government is Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God transcends everything. So let's just challenge ourselves. If someone's saying something that is against what actually Jesus said, and here's the thing, know what Jesus said. It's kind of important. The reason I think Christians are so easily swayed, we don't know where to hang our hat. We're hanging our hat on the latest hero of the day. We're hanging our hat on the latest guy who gets behind the mic and said, I believe in God. Oh, let's believe in that guy. He's going to be our king. 
We're doing the same thing the Jews did for centuries. Just find somebody with influence that can help us. But you know, the gospel is not about human influence. It's about human weakness. You want to find the gospel? Find the most marginalized, cast-aside person you can find. That's where you'll find the gospel. What, uh, what verse are we in? Uh, 20. So ask these others what their crime they've caught me in. Don't let them hide behind this smooth-talking turtleist. How do you say it in Spanish? You should say it. Torturas. <laughs> That's turtle. Mike's been learning Spanish. You should give us your line. Give us your Spanish line. <laughs> Something about Ninja Turtles. I'm not sure. The only thing they have on me is the one sentence I shouted in the council. Check this. It is because I believe in the resurrection. It is because I believe in the resurrection that I've been hauled into this court. Does that sound like grounds for a criminal case? Now, check Paul. This guy is brilliant. Who did he just put on trial? Who? Come on. Who, who, what just happened? What just, ha what just turned? He, who is he talking to? Who is he addressing? Uh, Felix. It's fascinating. Here Paul is on trial, and yet the gospel flipped it, and he's like, does that sound like something that's worth your time? Don't you love the brilliance and smartness of the Holy Spirit? Don't you love how smart God is? God is really smart. I like God. <laughs> it's really cool. So Felix is the one that's on trial now. The Holy Spirit shifted, and whatever the Holy Spirit is doing, he's always trying to get the gospel in every message that we say, everything that we do, gospel, 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 gospel. Everywhere you go, gospel, gospel, gospel. Look what happened. The, 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 the stage is flipped. One simple question, not arguing over politics, not coming up with cheap shots, only sharing the truth. Now, I know there's so many times I want to get in arguments in social media on whatever platform, but I realize that it's always better, my friends, to have a conversation with your family face-to-face. -face. And I just, I just don't engage. I just won't engage on that platform. I would love to have a debate with anybody, anytime, face-to-face. -face. I want to see you. I want to feel you. I want to I sense your... your, your joy, your anger, your strife. So many problems are caused because we've lost the art of table. Let's get back to that. Let's get back. Uh, husbands and wives, don't text argue, dummies. That's the dumbest thing you can do. Okay, men, have a conversation. I saw, it's t t Teresa and I, is Teresa in here? No, sweet. I mean, unsweet. <laughs> Teresa and I were uh, something like she said, well, where, where did you say you wanted to meet? And I, I just was, said, I said, um, the restaurant on Powers. Now, if you read that in text, it says, I said the restaurant on Powers. But the text was like, hey, you know, I, I, I said the restaurant on Powers. Well, I didn't, I didn't see that part of it. And this was through text. Well, I didn't see that. I'm like, uh-oh. See what happened? I mean, instantly I said, well, well, whatever. You know, I could have started something so simple. Come to the table. Come to the table. I don't know what that means. Oh, yes, there you go. Yes, thank you, Dave. Just switch the, awesome. Verse 23, Felix shilly-shallied. Don't know what that means, but I think it means he adjourned the court. He knew far more about the way than he led on and could have settled the case then and there, but uncertain of his best move politically, he played for time. When Captain Lysias comes down, I'll decide your case. He gave orders to the centurion to keep Paul in custody, but to more or less give him the run of the place and not prevent his friends from helping him. What a political move. This guy is shady. Now, Felix, uh, history tells us that he had been governor for six years and would have known about the way. So he was very familiar in Caesarea about the way. The Christians were there. They, they never caused riots. He was very familiar with their, their peaceful lifestyle. And he was actually trying to posture himself between the Romans and the Jews. 
He knew that there was no case against Paul because, number one, Jewish law says you have to have two or three witnesses. Witnesses never showed up. Number two, hearsay does not, is not admissible in court. Isn't that fascinating? That's kind of still the case, I think. Might have been changed. I don't know. A people of the way were people of peace and did not go around starting riots. Check this verse out, Romans 12, 18. I think that Paul was like just in, in, encapsulating all this. Don't hit back, he says. Discover beauty in everyone. This, life, this, church, this verse will change your life. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Isn't that good? Guys, that should set us free tonight. Don't worry about getting even. What Paul is actually saying in Romans is don't fall into the trap of being like the enemy and being an accuser. Don't fall in that trap. Be free. Be free to love. Once you're free from accusation, you're free to love. And love covers a multitude of sins. Love sets us free. Love is what we are rooted in in family. Romans 12, 18. A few days later, Felix and his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, sent for Paul and listened to him talk, for, talk about a life of believing in Jesus Christ as Paul continued to insist on right relations with God. Isn't it interesting? Paul was not arguing his case at this point with Felix. He wasn't trying to strike a deal. He wasn't trying to get out of anything. He was still sharing the gospel. I want you, Felix, more than anything, more than my own freedom, I want you to come into right relationships with Jesus Christ. As Paul continued to insist on this, Felix felt things getting a, too, a little close because he was talking about moral discipline and coming judgment. We'll talk about that in a minute. And Felix said, that's enough for today. I'll call you back when it's convenient. At the same time, he was secretly hoping that Paul would offer him a substantial bribe. He must have figured, hey, this guy raised a lot of money. He could probably help my cause out, my political campaign out. Hey, why don't you donate to me? Why don't you give me some of your, uh, some of your uh, campaign uh, donations, and I'll give you political clout. Isn't that fascinating that still happens today? The church still thinks it's going to win through political means. I love what, um, what's his face said? He's really good. Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey. Whenever the church enters into the political arena, it becomes impotent. The church needs to stay in grace. That's the whole message, right? Don't, I mean, we, guys, we, we keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Now, I know we're in a democracy. I know we have a voice and we should exercise it. Totally. Vote. Call your people. Call your senators. At the end of the day, Jesus is the one who sets people in authority and tears people down. At the end of the day, we have that. We have that hope in Jesus Christ that he knows what's going on. Stop manipulating it. Do your job. Do your duty. Call your senators. Listen, it, it, we should be protecting life, right? Beginning to end. I don't, oh, uh, my goodness. This is so weird tonight, isn't it? It's like we're in the courtroom together and sort of watching Paul exercise his civic, well, they had no really rights. Well, he did, but back then it was a lot different, right? He didn't vote Felix in. Verse 27, after two years of this, Felix was replaced by Portius Festus. There's a name for you. Hey, Festus. Still playing up to the Jews and ignoring justice. Felix left Paul in prison. Chapter ends. Two years. Think about what you were doing two years ago. Two years Paul was left there. It sort of reminds me of Joseph, doesn't it? Like, hey, did you forget about me? What, what is going on? Two years? I've been waiting for a, a sentence. There's no sentence made. There's no crime. They can't prove anything, and yet they held him in prison for two years. This is fascinating to me. And yet Paul still had conversations with Felix every convenient opportunity. Now watch this. Felix actually took Drusilla from another Jewish man. So Paul, like Herod, was saying, dude, you are living in sin. And Felix is like, I'm out. I can't handle that. When the gospel 
confronts sin, you'll have three reactions, run, resist, or receive. People will run from the gospel because it's too close to home. They'll resist the gospel. They might stay, but they'll resist it, or they'll simply receive it. The gospel has three general conclusions. You're going to run from it, you'll resist it, or you'll receive it. That's an alliteration that just came to my mind. Isn't that fascinating? Thank you, Holy Spirit. That's not in my notes anywhere. Two years. Even when you think you're right, you might sometimes still find yourself in prison. Come on. It would seem to be a great waste of time for Paul's calling to be spending two years in prison, sitting there, waiting. It would seem to be even out of God's will. And how many times have we felt like we've done the right thing and still found ourselves in prison? Waiting, waiting. I followed your rules. I obeyed my parents. I did everything you told me to do, and I feel like I'm still stuck. And sometimes you feel like you're actually out of God's will, sitting in a liminal space. In actuality, you're right where you belong. His needs were met. It wasn't fair. It didn't line up with my sense of justice. Felix fell down on the job. He's supposed to have dismissed this case and let Paul go. But in actuality, he was too politically connected to make that decision. When we get politically connected and not Jesus connected, we make bad decisions. But we never hear Paul complaining. As a matter of fact, he probably wrote this. I'm glad, he said, in God. I'm far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you're, again, showing such strong concern for me, but don't worry. Not that you ever actually quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything. Anything personally, I've just learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. This is going to help you. I'm just as happy with little to be with much as much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy wherever I am. Here it is. You ready? Here's a recipe for being happy wherever you are. One, two, three. Here we go. I can make it through anything in the one who makes me a beautiful thing. Okay. I can make it through anything. Here's the recipe, he says. I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Not a beautiful thing. That was the second line. Sorry, but that was really cool. I don't mean that your help didn't mean a lot to me. It was. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in trouble. I am happy in the one who makes me who I am. My friends, this is why we so strongly believe in connecting to our creator. If you have been taught something outside of being created, then you're probably struggling at some point with who you are. If If I thought I pulled myself out of a mud puddle I would have identity problems. But if I know that I'm created with purpose and I'm his workmanship, created for his glory and for his purposes, it helps me identify who I am. You want to know the secret to happiness? Understand who you are in Christ. Know your creator. Connect to your creator. All right. Let's reflect and apply. Number one, if we're living in the way of the gospel, we will always face false accusation. You can write that down. If I'm living the gospel, if I'm living the way, I will always, always invite false accusation. That's just a guarantee. Jesus said it. Paul said it. Peter said it. He said, don't be surprised, my friends, when hard times and tribulations come. Why are you acting surprised? This is a way so that your faith can be made complete. Because when your faith is made complete, you have the badge of justice. I'm sorry, patience. 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 
Too many times the gospel is misrepresented because people of the way have no knowledge of how to defend it properly. We end up arguing over empty words and ideologies. Notice Paul didn't do this. My challenge to us this, morning, this evening is that we know what Jesus and we know the Jesus we're talking about. This comes through a relationship with him. Information without application is frustration. If we just have the information of the book, but we have no application of the book, we'll constantly be frustrated and we'll constantly find ourselves in arguments that don't make any sense. Information without application is frustration. I'll go even further. Stephen Covey said this, that inspiration without applied information is like a book that lays unread. You have all that you need right in front of you, and all you need to do is apply it and go get it and then, and then use it. It's called credibility. We have all the access you need. It only needs to be picked up and applied. I echo Colin's words last week, as I said earlier. A culture with high invitation and high challenge becomes healthy. But a culture with high invitation and low challenge becomes cozy. And anytime we're in a cozy culture, apathy sets in. And I promise you, the moment we get apathetic, the moment we will divide and end. Now, we might still have people come, but we won't be growing. We'll be dead and not even know it. Guard that. Be challenged. Allow your old thought processes to be challenged constantly. I'm reading a book called Everyone Culture. Thank you, Daniel. Actually, this book led me from People Acuity, which led me from Shift Up, which, anyway. People uh, in Everyone Culture uh, becoming a developmental or deliberately developmental organization. This book is chocked full with high invitation and high challenge culture. Check this. Once somebody learns something in their job at a company called Next Jump, right? A better me, a better you, a better us. They are instantly asked to go on to another challenge. So in other words, you're finally comfortable in your position. You finally got it down. You know all the coding. You know all the rules. You know all the acronyms. You know all the, the processes. You're good. Let's go. We're moving you. What? I just... Come on! I mean, they're constantly developing their people. The things I found out in church is we become lazy at developing leaders. We become so lazy at identifying who we really are and healthily challenging one another in a culture of relationship. I'm thinking this secular company is killing it! It's the most, it's what they say, it's the, the biggest billion dollar company you've never heard of. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, it took me like an hour to figure out what they even did. Because they're all about culture. I want to adopt that. I want to I be that kind of culture. I want to be a challenging culture, but a healthy culture. I want to say, knock your stuff off, but then say, come on, let me help you. We should always be willing to allow our thought process to be challenged, even if it's by someone who's called the Dalai Lama. A culture with this is healthy. We have to know what we believe and know why we believe it. And here's the foundation of it all. Isn't it built in love and trust? If, you, if, if I come to you and you know that I love you and, I tr- and you trust me in that and I'm for you, you'll say, this guy is not against me. He's for me. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to default to that. I, I was rebuked just a few weeks ago. And I, and I took this person's rebuke as healthy because this person loves me. And he, and he came so low and he came so soft and he said, Man, Pastor, I've just got to call you out on something. Now, I could have said, who are you, man? I'm Big P here, dude. Get out. You're, you're nobody. You know, you're not even, you don't even come all the time. Why would I listen to you? But the moment I can become teachable is the moment that I can really receive from somebody and help me. I have 24 blind spots. 24 things I don't see in my life. I need people around me, and so do you. You can't see the entire scope. You need help. And then to be able to receive it in a spirit of love and trust. Number two, recognize the people God has placed in your, uh, placed you in proximity with. Recognize the people that God has placed you in proximity with. Understand your people. Josh, you work at Apex. Um, Ken Ewing used to work there. Yeah. Did you know him? I think he was before your time. Yes. Okay, cool. He's a good friend of ours, great friend of Keystone. 
You're, you're, you're working with guns all day. You're working in manufacturing and ordering parts and things like that. Probably not going to be able to talk about cycling. Right? It's just not the call. See, I would want to talk about cycling. But I know that would not be the right people. There's leadership development in here. There's people that work in the service industry. There's people that work in restaurants. There's people that work in sales. Understand your crowd. There were times when Paul's like, I'm out of here. I got to split. These are not my people. And he had to go fearing for his life. There was other times when they were, they were his people. They were resisting. They weren't running. They were resisting. But he knew after time, these are my people. These are my people. This is my crowd. These are my people of peace. The gospel will be planted here. I have no, uh, oh, oh, learn this. Learn this. Learn this. I have no voice or influence here. If that is where you are, go, leave. You're, I'm just thinking like nations right now, right? Because like sometimes you're going to go get your teeth kicked in. Like, oh, I'm a martyr. Yay, I got to be. It's not your people. I was set free with this because I thought, well, everybody should receive the gospel and we should just keep continually plowing concrete. My God, let's just hang in there for Jesus. Sometimes you need to go. You don't belong there. Somebody else needs to be there. And you being in the way is jacking everything up. Listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. This will be the best counsel. He will be your best guide. Number three, wrap it up. Just because you're in prison doesn't mean you're right where you're supposed to be. Learn this great secret. There's two big secrets tonight, right? How do I find happiness forever? Knowing who I am in Christ. And number two, here's the second one. You ready? Contentment. Contentment. It's sort of kind of anti what I just said, wasn't it? Because like, oh, I'm getting my teeth kicked in. Learn to be content. Have your teeth kicked in. No, it's always listening to the ebb and flow of the Holy Spirit. What is Holy Spirit saying? That is your litmus test. That's your standard. That's your guide. Learn to be content. It is of great value. So it matters not your current station of status. If God has you in a place of holding, then be content. If you're on the move and, and feel like your things are going great, be content. If you're in liminal space, be content. This may be one of the greatest traits that we could ever learn, and it's especially hard for people me that like movement. Movement and change actually bring me life. Man, I love change. As a matter of fact... When uh, they changed everything around at work, I was so excited. Man, offices are getting moved. Cubbies are getting moved every, everywhere. And people were freaking out. And I'm like, yeah, this is bringing me to life. Change. Woohoo! I love it. And then I'm like, okay, I'm ready for another one. When are we moving again? Stop it. Shut up. Don't say a word. The unknown is appealing to me. But sometimes abiding is the hardest thing I can do. Staying, waiting for God to complete all the things he needs to complete in me. And I found this. When I leave too early, I always end up right back at the same place, doing the same thing over again so that God can continue to work on that. Sometimes it is time to move. Sometimes it's to stay. The unknown is, is sometimes appealing. Don't curse your crisis. Don't curse your crisis. Sometimes that's the very thing that is actually making you, let me say this, sometimes your crisis is the very answer to the prayer that you prayed. In 2000, I prayed a crazy prayer. Oh, God, change my character. Let me be more like you. Oh, my God. He answered. It was hard. I have limps and scars because of that prayer. And it, I didn't know, right? I mean, I mean, for the first time in my life, I couldn't stop crying. What is going on with me? I'm a happy person. I, I, I would sit and I would just start crying. I was so depressed. I was falsely accused. I was depressed. I was in this youth ministry. I got kicked out of youth ministry and kicking youth out of ministry. I mean, it was insane. And God, I just remember looking back now saying, thank you. All that makes sense now. It sure didn't make sense then. And I remember probably... Tons of people come up to me saying, oh, man, God's just making you enough. Shut up. I don't, I, does anybody really want to hear that in the middle of a crisis? No. Don't curse your crisis. It's developing something beautiful in you. Suffering can be the way to Jesus. 
Let me end with this phrase, and then we'll close in prayer. Do some announcements or something. Suffering brings credibility. Suffering brings credibility. We have a lot of smart people sometimes, but we don't have a lot of wise people. When someone's walked through suffering, they've walked through a storm, you see the scars on their spirit, they walk with a limp, so to speak, like Jacob, that person has credibility to me. I'm two weeks Monday of being completely vegetarian. You're welcome. I'm helping cows or something. I don't know what I'm doing. Josh and I had a great conversation. Methane gas, I don't know, something. Helping the environment, I think. Yeah, cow farts. It's a real thing. I'm not an expert at being a vegetarian. There's times, I promise you, I want red meat. And I want it now. The Liz, Liz Franti, who lived with us for six months, has been a vegetarian for 10 years. She is an expert. She knows what to eat, when to eat it, how to eat it, how to prepare it, the best things to eat, the best things to go together, some spices, some salt, some sauces that go on top of things that can transform broccoli into something you would actually eat. Before that, it was cheese whiz for me. Anybody relate? You know, hey, that's perfect. I'm eating my veggies. <laughs> the point is this. I don't have the credibility to tell you how to eat like a vegetarian because I haven't suffered through it yet. <laughs> right? See me in 10 years if it lasts that long. I can't tell you, I can tell you certain things that I, that I have walked through. I can talk about how to deal with financial pressure and how to, how to have faith and have, have someone knocking at your door trying to repossess your house because you had just don't have any money to pay your payment and your wife crying on the floor and pregnant with your, your second child and, and, and this feeling of insecurity and your, your, your son walking through a grocery store and saying, Daddy, can I get this, this coloring book? No, you can look at it through the store, but we can't afford to buy it. What do we always say? It's not on the list. I can tell you about budgeting. I can tell you about living very, very frugally. I can tell you about cars breaking down. I can tell you about my beautiful bride getting out of our old Nissan uh, Altima that leaked so much oil. I never changed it because it would just flow right through. And then it would just, you know, everywhere you parked, you were embarrassed because there was like a pancake size of oil under the car. And then when you go to a doctor's invitational ball gala and you pull up in a car that won't stop running after you turn it off. You ever had one of those? It's like chitty, chitty, bang, bang. I'm like, dude, Stop. You're kicking it. My wife can't open the passenger side door because the handle's broken, so I got to go around and get the door for her. And then you smell like oil because the whole car has been burning oil the entire time. You thought it was the air conditioning, but it's actually all filled with oil smoke. So you walk into a doctor's gala, and you're in the best suit you own that was from, like, 1989, and it still has pleats on it. I mean... I can tell you about those things, the embarrassment, the being broke and feeling like you're not good enough and feeling like you're not worthy to have a bride like Teresa and feeling like you're not worthy to be a dad and feel like you're not worthy to be a youth pastor and feel like you're not worthy to be a pastor. I can tell you those pains and trials. I can't tell you what it's like to be a bodybuilder. I can't tell you what it's like to, to be a professional cyclist, although I'd like to. Like all the sports I really enjoy, I'm not built for. Suffering brings credibility. When you watch someone suffer, you can almost, I don't mean this sadistically, you can almost smile because you know their story is gaining credibility. Somebody walks through a storm, you're like, oh, you got this, dude. This is beautiful. I know it stinks, and I know you don't want to hear this, but what God is creating in you is so beautiful. You're going to be just fine. And on the other side, you're going to be incredible. And you'll have a story. And it's not just a story. A lot of people have stories. But you'll have a story with credibility. Paul walked in credibility. Why? Because he was always beat up, suffered in jail. He was cool in jail for two years. He's like, hey, man, I'm in jail for two years. I'm getting fed. I'm cool. Don't, don't, don't get me out of prison. I'm good. Sometimes that's the best attitude we can have. He was content. That's the secret, right? Know who you are in Christ. Learn contentment.
just heard this stat the other day. Millennials, 35 and under, will probably have an average on the low side of 12 jobs in their lifetime. Now, the guy sharing the story, his dad worked at a plant for 40 years. It was just a different mentality. People stayed at one place. Now it's not. We change, we shift, we move, we got more opportunities. We, we go, we go, we go, we go, we change, we change, we change. 12 jobs in their lifetime. That's fascinating to me. What they're discovering is that every time they stop at a place, they are challenged at the next and challenged at the next and challenged at the next. So what I might have said as a negative is actually becoming a positive. That millennials are probably the most accepting generation of challenges that we've ever had. They're ready for anything. Don't be afraid of challenge. Don't be afraid to change. Don't be afraid to allow what you've known your entire life to be challenged and ask the question, what if? All right, stand with me. Sorry. I just, you know what happens when I don't get to speak every week? I'm sorry. <laughs> Daniel, I am uh, so glad you're here. I, I literally, literally was thinking about you today as I was preparing this. And Daniel, I just publicly want to say how much you've challenged me. I know we haven't met in a while, but it's still rippling through my life. He, 10 weeks we spent together, life coaching. I knew I had to step up my level. And you need, you need to do that. Every marriage needs coaching. Every life needs help. Everybody can use help. So it's still, and it's, and it's proving to be very, very productive. So thanks, man. Um, let's pray. Father, in Jesus, I'll just keep talking. I'm sorry. Father, we just thank you again. Holy Spirit, thanks for this word tonight. We pray, Lord, just that we apply, recognize who we are in you and the secret of contentment. Know that we could be in prison, but that's okay. Know that we might be in a liminal space, that's okay. Abide, wait, listen to you, Holy Spirit, find our people, all this great stuff in this chapter. Amen.